Well, please turn with me in our Bibles uh, this morning uh, to the Gospel according to Mark. And this morning we're turning to Mark chapter 13. If you're using the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 849. Mark 13, at verse 1. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will, take, you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house uh, to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, and for those who were nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, 
and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey, when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Life uh, can sometimes feel like things will never change. Uh, Each day you wake up and it may feel like the day before, and it may feel like things are always going to be the way that things are at present. But then there are times, events in our life's experience that wake us or shake us from that notion and remind us that things do change around us uh, and that things won't always be the way that they are at present. This morning we are uh, coming to look at uh, a section in the Gospels known as the Olivet Discourse. It is called that because it is Jesus' teaching from the Mount of Olives. Uh, But it is a teaching that is uh, filled with a concentration on uh, great changes that were coming and how Jesus is describing the destruction that would come against the temple and how his people are to live in light of these great changes. But this morning we want to look at this uh, chapter by thinking about uh, because Jesus prepares us for what is to come, we are to live in light of his word and to be prepared uh, for all things. But uh, we want to think about this chapter in three thoughts. We want to think about the judgment uh, of the Lord being something that is pronounced, uh, the process that is described, and then the preparation that is needed. This chapter uh, uh, has all kinds of uh, things that could take up our attention. Uh, We could spend a long time looking at uh, Jesus' teachings here. Uh, But because his message is unified, I want us to look at the entire chapter this morning. Uh, And if there are questions afterwards, we can look at them. But we want to think about uh, Jesus' overarching message of living in light of the judgment that is to come. And you notice that uh, comes out right at the beginning. For several chapters now, since chapter 11, Jesus has been in the temple. And when Jesus was in the temple, he was teaching many people, his hearers, many things. He was answering questions. He was posing questions himself. But he was helping them understand uh, God's truth. But now Jesus leaves the temple. And as he leaves, uh, it seems he leaves on the eastern side and he goes over to the, the Mount of Olives. 
and he's now opposite looking over at the temple. And as this happens, one of the disciples says, look, teacher, look at what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings there is here in Jerusalem. As they come, mostly like tourists, to Jerusalem, one of these disciples is just taken back in awe of the majesty of Jerusalem. As he looks around at the the temple complex, it is something impressive to him. And he calls attention to it uh, by telling Jesus, "Take, take, take notice of what we see here in Jerusalem. But Jesus is not caught up in the outward grandeur of the temple. And instead, Jesus says something that would have been shocking. Uh, He says that not one stone will remain upon another, that this temple complex will be torn down. It can be hard for us to appreciate uh, the disciples' sense of wonder uh, about the temple. Uh, We might have a a concept in our mind of a temple, some place where people would gather together. But the temple was something truly glorious. Uh, The temple was something that uh, 50 years before uh, this time period, 50 years before Jesus uh, says these words, Herod the Great had uh, undertaken the project of enlarging Solomon's temple or enlarging uh, the temple, the, the second temple that had been built. Uh, Herod the Great was known for uh, his uh, major building projects. Uh, he wanted to build impressive buildings, and the temple was a prime example of that. Uh, he, he made the temple so that it was a third of a kilometer wide and uh, half a kilometer long. That the temple complex, the entire complex, was 35 acres, and you could fit 12 football fields in that, that uh, area. But even when you come to the temple itself, one historian from this first century said that some of those stones that were used in the construction of the temple were 40, 50, even 60 feet in length, and that the height of those rocks, of those stones, were 11 feet uh, in, in length. The temple then was something uh, extremely impressive. That, that from a distance, uh, it, it looked like a mountain uh, of snow. It was, it was something that was impressive to the eye. And that's why one uh, commentator says, the magnitude of the temple and of the stones used to construct it exceed the size of any other temple in the ancient world. So you can begin to appreciate why this disciple who's visiting Jerusalem looks at the temple and says, this is glorious. Um, If there was anything that communicated grandeur and permanence, it was the temple. It was something that was bigger than life. Uh, It was something that was impressive to the eye. And so this disciple here is simply calling attention to that, to Jesus. Look at how stable, look at how secure, look at how glorious uh, the temple is. But Jesus responds to this uh, without being caught up in the outward glory, and he instead announces a judgment coming against this temple complex. This, uh, this was an outworking of God's judgment, in other words. Jesus was predicting that God would destroy the temple 
and that he would bring an end to the temple worship. And that's part of the reason why there's such uh, significance attached to the Olivet Discourse, that Jesus as a prophet here is declaring things that would soon take place. And he, he establishes the certainty of it by saying, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So our understanding of Jesus is tied again with the message that he's conveying. And here he is conveying a message of judgment. If you go back in history, even from the time the temple was first built uh, in the days of Solomon, one thing that the Lord communicated was the possibility that the temple would be destroyed. Even back in 1 Kings, it tells us that the Lord warned that if the people turned away and were disobedient to the Lord, that he would bring a destruction, a heap of ruins on the temple. That possibility became a reality several centuries later. The Babylonians came in and destroyed the temple. Uh, but then afterwards, the people came back and built a second temple. Uh, and uh, now we're being told that again, uh, God's judgment is going to come against this second temple. So Jesus's uh, prediction here uh, about uh, judgment coming against the t temple uh, is a prophecy of God's judgment and uh, bringing an, or an end uh, to this order. Uh, so there's a pronouncement here that is both uh, shocking on the one hand. For those who thought the temple was secure and stable and permanent, this would be shocking news. But it's also a solemn statement that Jesus is uttering because he's, he's announcing God's judgment against his covenant people. That in spite of the judgment coming in the past, there hasn't been a change in them. And now that judgment is coming again in full so there's the pronouncement of the Lord's judgment. But there's also the process by which this judgment will come to pass. It tells us that the disciples uh, came, some of them, four of them, came to Jesus privately. And they asked him exactly when these things would happen. And what would be the sign that the temple would be destroyed. It must have been hard for them to imagine that this impressive complex would be torn down. And yet they still ask Jesus how is it that this is going to happen? What should we be looking for to know when this is going to happen? And uh, Jesus begins uh, to answer their question in the remainder of the chapter. Now, Christians have differed in the way that they have understood uh, Jesus' teaching here. But if we're going to understand Jesus' answer, what we have to keep at the forefront is what Jesus keeps at the forefront. And that is the idea of preparation. Both at the beginning and at the end of Jesus' answer here, he is focused on being prepared and of having discernment to live in one's own situation. That we would be alert into the situation we find ourselves so that we would not be caught on, uh, off guard. Notice how he begins there by saying, make sure you're not led astray. Don't be deceived. Don't live by your own gut reaction. Don't be led by your own expectations, but rather you need to be aware of the possibility of reading things wrongly. But then at the end of the uh, chapter, he comes back and he says, therefore, be on your guard. Therefore, be awake. You need to be prepared for what is coming. So you're not living uh, uh, with a sense of angst, but neither are you living with a sense of indifference that you need to be led by his word 
in order to live uh, rightly in the situation you find yourself in. So Jesus here is stressing the importance of preparation. But as we come to it, uh, again, people have understood these words in different ways. One way is to look at what Jesus is saying here as mostly, if not entirely, referring to issues in the first century. Uh, that when Jesus is talking about here, he's talking about God's destruction of the temple in AD 70. Uh, the end that Jesus is asked about is the end of the age of the temple worship. It is the end of the, we might call that, that age of a redemptive history. Uh, so uh, some have looked at this as focused on issues in the first century. And one of the reasons for that, one of the greatest reasons for that is because that's what the question itself is. What is the sign that these things are going to happen? The question is, when will the, the temple be destroyed? Now, how are we to know when this is going to happen? And then along with that, Jesus' stress there in verse 30, he says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. So Jesus is stressing that within this generation period, these things will be fulfilled. And so all of that stresses a first century fulfillment. Others have looked at this chapter and have seen that some of the language in it, though, uh, directs us elsewhere. That when you hear about uh, the, the, the sun being darkened and the, lights, uh, the stars falling from heaven, the Son of Man appearing on the clouds... This all leads us to looking at this as talking about the second coming of Christ. We're talking about a cosmic upheaval here. We're talking about the end of creation here. We're talking about the second judgment here when Christ comes again. And so people have looked at the, these words of Jesus with different vantage points. Well, how are we to make sense of the whole chapter? It is uh, best to think about it in terms of how the question was asked. They were asking Jesus about the destruction of the temple, the judgment that Jesus was saying. The stones will be, every one of them will be turned over. Um, and so we have to look at it through the lens of the first century. But we can also see that when Jesus says that, he is opening up an analogy here for how to look at all of God's judgment or to look at the greater judgment that is yet to come. And so we can look at this, uh, his answer through the time period of the first century, and yet seeing a greater fulfillment uh, in the, the greater judgment at the end of time. So Jesus begins to answer their question. And when they ask him, they ask, what is this, uh, when will these things be? And what will be the sign that this is about to be accomplished? And Jesus gives them uh, two uh, main thoughts. The first thing that he says is what may not uh, be the sign. Um, their own expectations uh, could lead them to expect certain things. But he begins by telling them that uh, there will be uh, many false messiahs that will come. Uh, there will be many people who will rise up and claim to be something, trying to gather a following uh, to lead people after them. And Jesus warns against this reality. Many messianic pretenders, uh, like people like Thutis in the 40s, uh, who would claim to have the ability to, to part the Jordan River, uh, were trying to have people follow them. And Jesus warns against these false messiahs uh, and how easily we can be uh, led by our own expectations. 
But he also warns against uh, reading too much into wars and rumors of wars. Uh, uh, there, there uh, earlier he talks about wars and rumors of wars in verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Um, there was a Roman emperor in the first century uh, by the name uh, uh, of um, Caligula uh, who erected, uh, who attempted to set up a statue uh, in the temple uh, of, for himself. Uh, and so there was a great sense of um, hostility and there was a speculation that a war was going to break out as a result of it. But in the end, it was only that. It was only a rumor of war. Uh, Caligula's efforts to desecrate the temple did not provoke a war in the end. It, Jesus also speaks about earthquakes and famines. You remember in the book of Acts, in Acts 11, it tells us about a famine in the land. There were also several earthquakes. Uh, there were earthquakes at this time period in Phrygia in 61, in Pompeii, and in Jerusalem in 67 AD. But all of these things are not a sign that the end is yet. Uh, not to read too much into them, Jesus is saying. Uh, they're they're uh, not yet the sign to look for. Uh, he goes on, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Uh, these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Um, when a mother gives birth to a child, uh, her body will undergo certain symptoms, signs that uh, it is the getting ready uh, to have the, the baby. But if a mother uh, reads into the situation and simply sees the contractions or hears the contractions, feels the contractions, and assumes this is it, she would be premature. The, the contractions are just the beginning of the birthing process. They're not the, they're not the arrival of the baby. Uh, it is but what must happen before the baby comes. And Jesus here is making that same analogy, uh, that all of these things are but the beginning of the process. So many upheavals will happen uh, before this judgment happens. He goes on in verses 9 through 13, and he mentions you will be delivered over to councils. The word there is literally the Sanhedrin. You will be delivered over uh, to councils, and you will be beaten in the synagogues. You will be presented before governors. All of this will happen. There will be great persecution uh, against the followers of Christ, uh, but they will have to give testimony before governors. They will have to preach the gospel uh, to the nations. Uh, again, you can read that in different ways. It might sound like the nations must be preached, but remember, Paul himself could say in Romans, that the gospel has been preached to all nations. So there's a way in which you can read that even through the lens of what was accomplished in the first century. Uh, all of this is but the uh, beginning of the birth pains. Uh, parent will rise up against child and child against parent, just as the prophet Micah uh, prophesied in Micah chapter 7. So this process uh, will be preceded by a whole bunch of signs that are really just like contractions. It's just like the beginning of the birthing process. They are not the sign of the arrival of God's judgment. Uh, we're not to be led by our own expectations, whether it's leaders that rise up, whether it's hostility that is around us. We're to be governed by God's word rather than by our own intuition. So Jesus says it's not these things, but rather he goes on in verse 14 to explain 
It's when you see the abomination of desolation set up. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus is using here language from the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel prophesied about an abomination of desolation, uh, something uh, abominable happening, something that was detestable in God's sight, something that should not happen. Uh, And it would happen in the temple that there would be a desecration of God's glory. And this is something that Daniel prophesied and would be later fulfilled uh, by the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes, who would set up an altar in the temple of God, desecrating uh, the holy place of God. It was an abomination, and every Jew knew this story. It was something of a shame uh, to, their own, uh, to their own story, to understanding what has happened to them in history. Uh, as they became uh, overruled. Uh, But Jesus now uses that same language to say that what Daniel prophesied and was fulfilled through Antiochus is going to reach another fulfillment when something else happens that should not happen and it will be the sign of God's judgment coming. When one is standing where he ought not to be will desecrate Uh, and uh, do something abominable in God's sight. Uh, In Luke's version of this account, it becomes even more explicit. In Luke 21, it says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know its desolation has come near. So Luke is teasing that out. The desolation is connected with when Rome's army comes into Jerusalem. That's when you are to flee then it's no longer about rumors. Then it's no longer about speculation. That's when you are to leave Jerusalem. Uh, And so Jesus here was saying that the Romans were moving in, the temple would be destroyed. There would be a great tribulation as has never before been seen. Uh, Again, Josephus, a uh, a Jewish historian of that time period, describes all the horror, not only the famine, the cannibalism, but also the crushing blow that the Roman army gave over several months, uh, wiping out uh, those who remained in Jerusalem. When the army invaded Jerusalem, the temple was accidentally burned against Titus's orders, but the soldiers were so eager to retrieve the gold that they, that they had melted uh, and that had flowed in between the cracks of the stones that they actually overturned those stones in order to retrieve the gold. And so Jesus' prophecy that not one stone would be left on top of another was fulfilled because the Roman army wanted to retrieve the gold that they had melted uh, when they burned the temple complex. Jesus' words were fulfilled uh, uh, exactly as he had said. Even as we go on and we read through this uh, uh, teaching of Jesus, um, You come to verse 24, and it says, In those days after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. That is is cosmic language. Uh, And it sounds, and it could be, uh, referring here to the end of the world. But as we were reading there in Isaiah 13, you remember how the prophets would describe when God overthrows an order, when God overpowers the rulers and orders that be, He described it as the darkening of the sun, the falling of the stars, 
that God's judgment was coming upon the rulers of this world. And so you can read even that language uh, through the lens of what was happening. God's judgment was coming over the orders that be uh, and uh, establishing uh, a new order uh, uh, himself. The appearance of the Son of Man coming in the clouds uh, can be referred to as the Son of uh, Man, the Lord Jesus, coming down to this earth, the return of Christ at the end of this world. But you can also read it through the lens of Daniel 7, where it speaks about the Son of Man appearing before the Ancient of Days. In other words, it's referring to his presentation, his glorification as king. And so as Jesus is describing the judgment to come, he's, he's describing it as the preaching of the gospel to all the nations. He's describing it as a time that is linked with the judgment uh, coming through the Roman army. He's linking it with the upsetting of the orders that be. It is linked with the presentation of the Son of Man in his glory. But all of this is highlighting that, that God is in control and that there is an ordering of events. So the Son of Man uh, is presented in all his glory. So there's the process. We're not to simply uh, guess or to go by our own intuitions. It must be when uh, some leader rises up. It must be when all these earthquakes come. It must be when there's all these wars going on around us. Jesus is saying God's judgment is going to come according to God's timing. And he links it with the abomination of desolation is when uh, God's judgment is coming near. So there is the pronouncement of God's judgment against the temple. There is this, the process by when it will come. But then there's the preparation that Jesus uh, gives. At the end of this event, Jesus says in verse 28, the fig tree learn, from the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Uh, Jesus here again is saying, understand the times, understand the situation. When you see my words starting to come to fulfillment, then you know your situation that you're faced with. Uh, they are to live uh, in response to it. Jesus says all this because it's so easy for us to simply live our lives as though things will always be the way we expect them to be that things will simply carry on and we don't live in light of time moving to an appointed end. That we can either approach life as though it's just an endless circle, an endless cycle, or we can approach time thinking that it's really going nowhere in particular. You just kind of drift along with it aimlessly, seeing whatever comes. Jesus disqualifies both of those views. Time is not cyclical. It's not going just in circles. But neither is it drifting aimlessly. Time is moving towards God's appointed end. And there is a, a judgment that is coming. And so Jesus is saying you have to live recognizing the signs that lead and point in that direction. That we are to live in light of God's truth. God has appointed a day in which he will judge the living and the dead. Uh, and even death itself stresses that. We live and we don't feel like we're getting older. We live and we don't feel like anything is changing. And yet death itself reminds us that things will change. Mm -hmm. Death itself reminds us that 
time is moving to an appointed end and that we need to live in light of that appointed end. So rather than simply looking at the world as an endless cycle of evil and suffering, or rather than looking at life and simply dream, uh, drifting aimlessly through it, uh, we should live in light of God's ordered purposes. But everything then would hinge on the certainty of Jesus's words. That's why Jesus stresses there, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. If we're going to order time, if we're going to look at life and to believe that things are going in a certain direction, it depends on the certainty, the reliability of Jesus's words. And you bring it back to what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about the temple being destroyed. This impressive complex, the greatest building in the ancient world in terms of its stones and in terms of its magnitude, Jesus says it's going to be destroyed within this generation. My words are certain about it. And in AD 70, that happened. The Romans came in and they wiped out Jerusalem. But the Christians left. The Christians knew the times. The Christians fled. From Jerusalem. They went to the northeast. They went to the Transjordan. They escaped the judgment because they lived believing in Jesus' word. They weren't aimless, but neither were they living in angst. They knew they had to get out of Jerusalem if they were going to be spared of the judgment to come. And the same is true of us today. We are to live knowing that there is a judgment to come. We are to live knowing the signs of life and the movement of time. We are to live knowing not only that there is a judgment because of the certainty of Jesus' words, we are to live with the understanding of where we can find refuge. We need to flee. But we need to flee to Christ that we might find refuge from the wrath of God, that we might find refuge from the judgment against our sin. That's what we were singing about in Psalm 62. My refuge, my rock, my salvation, my God is he. That we are to live in response to Jesus's warnings of judgment by looking to a place of refuge, one who has certainty over time itself, one who calls us to come unto him and find rest for our souls. Jesus calls us to live not not in fear, but in faith. He calls us to live in light of God's judgment to come and so be prepared. So as you think about this Olivet Discourse, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple. You see how he stresses the need to be awake You see how he stresses the need to be prepared, not to be deceived. Be on your guard. What does that mean for Christians living in the 21st century? The temple has already been destroyed. But the principle remains binding. We're to live prepared by living in light of Jesus' promises, in light of his word, in light of his prediction, that whoever hears his word and believes on him has eternal life. He does not come into judgment but has eternal life. We don't have to live in fear of the judgment to come if we have come to believe in Jesus 
himself. We are to live prepared, not only by living in light of his promises, but we're to live prayerfully. Jesus told his hearers that they were to pray that it does not happen in winter. Pray that it does not happen on a Sabbath. Pray for those who are pregnant during those days. That they are to be living in light of that judgment to come and bringing these things before the Lord. They are to be prepared for the appointed end. And so as we move forward in our own time, we are to do so prayerfully, bringing all our needs, bringing our concerns before the Lord, entrusting our needs to him in the outworking of his providence. But we're to bring our needs to God prayerfully. And then thirdly, to, to be prepared means not only to live in light of his promises, not only to be prayerfully bringing things to the Lord, but to have God's perspective in the way that we conduct ourselves. In that parable at the end, he talks about a man going off on a journey and leaving his servants to take care of house. But he says they have to live knowing the master will return. They have to live knowing they don't want to be unprepared for when he shows up again. And so we have to live our lives knowing not only that we are mortal, but knowing that there is a day coming when the master will return. There is a day coming when we are to stand before our judge And we're not to live aimlessly, but we're to live intentionally. So that when we do stand before our God, we don't do so in fear shrinking back, but we do so in faith, knowing that he will receive us who call on his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray as we think about uh, the teaching uh, uh, of Jesus uh, about the temple. We pray that we would see that Uh, The destruction of the temple was a sign of judgment against a disobedient people. Lord, we confess that we too are a disobedient people and that there is a judgment that is coming upon this creation. But we pray that we would also know that there is one who has been raised from the dead and in him we can hope. So Lord, help us to find our refuge and our strength in the God who is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.